I started talking about it. I'll be talking about it. Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd, and here is my friend Alyssa, and she's going to ask me a question I am not qualified to answer. There's a broad field of things I don't know anything about, so <laughs> last time was culinary science. Uh, this one's animal. Animals? Yes. Uh, so there is a mammal that can hold their breath longer than dolphins. Any guess what animal that would be? A whale. Not for this example. Not for this. This, this is not a. This is not a water animal. This not is a water. Not a, okay, so a land animal. Yes. That can hold its breath longer than a dolphin. Correct. How how long can a dolphin hold its breath? Mm. Dolphins need to come up for air every ten minutes. Ten minutes longer than ten minutes can hold their breath. This land animal can hold their breath for forty minutes. Forty minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a person. No. Right? Yeah, no, that's no. not. <clears throat> I tried. I got to about two. Um, I'm going to have to take a stab in the dark. I'm going to I'm gonna imagine. Okay, so. I, I think the way that I would approach this question is smaller rather than larger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so smaller rather than larger. Mammal. rat no no it is a sloth a, oh uh, a sloth sloth darn you sloth <laughs> they are fantastic animals i just have to say yeah i mean they're they're kind of cute slothing around yes i mean who wouldn't want to just like be characterized by naps Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they they move so slowly that like moss grows on them. Wow. I, I mean, I can see the appeal, mm-hmm. right? I can see the appeal of like big, and I would imagine like they've got those claws that hook over. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that you could like sn- it'd be great for snuggling. Mm-hmm. Like somebody could just like your other sloth friends could just like lay on your chest while you're hanging over the tree. Well, that's how they like the babies. Yeah, hang the babies and stuff, mm-hmm. and just hang out and take naps. Yeah, like a built-in hammock. <laughs> 40 minutes, huh? 40 minutes. What's the next closest? I don't know. I'd have to do some Google oh. research. Google. <laughs> Google's interesting. So, uh, yeah, okay. Now, like, my brain is, like, now thinking about sloths and animals and stuff. But what we came here to talk about is uh, the Bible, mm-hmm. right? And we've been going through the Book of Romans in church. And this is sort of a review and expansion on that. And the book of Romans starts off with, um, you know, the introductory material. Paul is going to talk about the gospel. And in the broadest sense, the gospel is the message about Jesus and its significance for mankind. Mm -hmm. And so it has to do with what Jesus has done for us and how we appropriate or how we get that for ourselves. And so in the first section, Paul starts off with, uh, and Paul's the author, he's an apostle, he starts off by talking about sin. And we spent the month of October talking about sin. And, I, you know, for me, it's really hard because I don't like to leave people without hope, mm. right? Yeah. But I think that Paul spends three chapters of Romans just beating this into people because we try to get away from sin. 
Right. And so we'll make excuses. You know, I'm not a sinner. Um, we'll, we'll try to say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Right. You know, that, that's a big thing, right? I'm not as bad as that guy. Um, <clears throat> I'm certainly no monster like Adolf Hitler or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so surely, you know, God will just make it right. And so a lot of people are walking around without a real deep awareness of sin. And systematic theologian Michael Byrd talks a lot about it. And he says he actually advocates for changing the word that we use to evil, right? Mm-hmm. And then he quotes Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who says that, um, wouldn't it be great, I'm paraphrasing, wouldn't it be great if we could take just all the bad people and put them in one place and just be done with them? Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be fantastic. We'd be left with good people. We've tried that. We've tried that. Yeah, we've tried Australia, right? Yeah, and well, in the Americas, there's just yeah. a lot of the Americas too. Oh, so we came from bad people. Some. Some. Oh, all right. Calling me out. Well, uh, like after the, I feel so seen. After the Scottish Rebellion, they shipped a lot of the Scottish warriors over sure, to the yeah. U.S. and dump them in America. They'll prisoners it to out. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where, like, you know, incarceration through human history, I mean, just we've, we've, we've tried. Mm-hmm. We've, we've tried to take the bad people and remove them from society, and somehow society hasn't gotten better. I think that's one of the things that's really shocking to me is that, like, when it comes to medical technology, um, just even in my lifetime, we've gone from, like, open-heart surgery being this massive undertaking with mm-hmm. huge risks to now, open heart surgery is just, it's routine, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I had a friend go through, you know, some open heart stuff or some heart surgery, and they went through her arm. Yeah. You know, and they, they were able to do all the stuff, you know. It's, it's amazing. What's changed in the world of ethics? Mm, not so much. Not so much, you know. And we're still afflicted by war. Mm-hmm. We're still afflicted by people getting hurt. You know, I think spe- specifically like what bothers me is kids being hurt. Mm-hmm. That deeply disturbs me. Uh, racism, I just, it just drives me nuts. And that's true no matter what the color of your skin is. Racism is just really bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's wrong. Um, but what Solzhenitsyn goes on to say is that the problem is that evil runs through all of our hearts. And so unless we're willing to cut out part of our own heart, how can we solve the problem of evil? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's, there's, it's good to stay in Romans in those first three chapters and really understand and come to grips with sin as a human problem. And that problem has consequences that we can see all around us. You would have to live such an incredibly sheltered existence to not be aware of evil mm-hmm. in the world. And that's true. It doesn't matter like where you're at politically. You know, we can all identify something that we think is evil. So um, then Paul changes things and he goes into the second section of the book of Romans and he starts with the words, but now. (laughs) And man, I I just, those are so, and I read this in a commentary. Um, A commentator was quoting another commentator and he was like, these words are amazing, right? Like, but now, and you're like, oh, thank God. We've been through all of this sin. And what Paul does, he starts with the obviously bad person. He goes to the person who follows the rules. He talks about religious people, and he says they're all a mess. But now, and this is Romans 3, 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, first three chapters, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if you're listening to that and you're like, there's a lot of big words in there. Mm -hmm. You're right, there are. (laughs) Because what Paul is doing is he's speaking very specifically. And so if you want to say something specifically, you have to use a specific word. Right. So you work in real estate, right? Can Uh you think of a specific word that means just one thing in real estate? I put you on the spot. Yeah. While you're thinking, I'll talk about defenestration. (laughs) Okay. So the word defenestration means to throw out the window. Okay. And it was used in Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republics back in the 1400s, when they wanted to change some public officials, they would defenestrate them. They would literally throw them out the window. Okay. Often to their death. One time there was a pile of hay outside and the guys didn't die. So another, like they did this over and over. This was like a thing for them. Uh-huh. Um, and one time they parked or they had the guys who were holding pikes, you know, the long spears with this, the thing uh-huh. on the top. So they parked those guys outside the window and then threw the people out. So they wanted to make sure that they didn't escape from it. So defenestrate means one specific thing. Mm-hmm. You got something from real estate? I mean, I guess a bathroom. I mean, is Bathroom is specific. It's specific. Because yeah. you'd have a bathroom and then you would have a half bath, mm-hmm. right? So when you're listing a house, you want to know how many bathrooms does it have. Right. Uh, we, when our kids were growing up, we had six people in one bathroom. Mm. Very important to know when yes. you're buying a house. <clears throat> Paul's using these specific words. And the word righteousness means that God is the standard of what is right. The eternal, perfect standard of rightness. And so the rightness of God has been shown apart from the law. Okay, So he's talking about Jesus. And then he uses two different words, justified and righteousness are actually the same word in different forms okay Okay. so if i tell you uh, what is google google is a search engine google is a search engine if i say can you google this for me what do i mean put it into the search engine to figure out what it is like use this like do the thing right Right. google is a noun google is a verb. verb run is a noun see todd run Probably not going to happen. If you do see me running, run the same direction. (laughs) See Todd run. Todd runs. Okay? Mm -hmm. The difference between the noun form and the verb form, it's the same word. In this, this is the word. um, In in Greek, it's dikaiosune is the noun, and dikaiao is the verb. Okay. So it's the same root. You can hear it. Um, Justified. Okay, so... Righteous, declared legally righteous. Um, how? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's that's like the kernel truth here. Mm-hmm. How do I get righteous? How do I get right with God? By trusting in what Jesus has done on the cross. 
Now, I'm, I'm a big advocate for um, lay people. Like, if you're listening, what I want you to have is I want you to have a study Bible, mm -hmm. right? Because the study Bible is going to include um, little articles and little, like, enough information to help you get there. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what I have on my screen, I have two different Bibles, the ESV, the NIV, the Life Application Study Bible and the ESV Study Bible open on one computer screen in front of me. And because the NIV Study Bible, if you're listening, NIV Study Bible, please go to my software people and make it happen. <laughs> um, but in the NIV Study Bible, it includes a an article on justification. Can you go ahead and pop that? So in the NIV Study Bible, in the article on justification, it says this. I don't think, can I read the whole thing? That's up to you. <laughs> Paul uses the Greek verb for justified 27 times, mostly in Romans and Galatians. It is translated justify in all cases except two, where it is translated declared righteous. And that's really, that, that is what it means, right? Mm -hmm. In almost all instances, to be justified is to be declared righteous. It's a legal word. The term describes what happens when people believe in Christ as their Savior. From the negative viewpoint, God declares them to be not guilty. From the positive viewpoint, he declares them to be righteous. He cancels the guilt of their sin and credits righteousness to them. And so the word righteous is not a word we use all the time. It means God's eternal standard of being right. Mm -hmm. And so the beauty of this is that it's not just that you're not guilty, but also that you are given an alien righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. Okay. And so Christians, like, if you believe this, you're, you're, the character of your life should be completely different, right? Mm -hmm. You should wake up in the morning. And this is maybe... <clears throat> so this, this is a kind of therapy, right? Okay. What you say about yourself and think about yourself makes a difference in who you are as a person, mm -hmm. right? So if you wake up in the morning and you think oh, I'm broke or I'm poor or I'm, you know, what are the, all the things we think? I don't measure up. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a bad mom or a bad dad. I don't spend enough time with my kids. You know, I'm, I didn't get a raise at work. You know, just whatever. Mm -hmm. And when you wake up and have that negative talk with yourself, how does your day and life go? Like what characterizes your existence if your focus is on disability mm -hmm. rather than ability? And so what this, what scripture does and what these ideas do, you should wake up and saturate in these ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than turning on the news, turn on these ideas in the morning, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, that you are justified, you are declared legally righteous by God. Stop right there for a minute and just remember that. And I even go back, I use in, I'm not a counselor, but I use this idea in counseling all the time. That in Genesis, it talks about how you are created in God's image, mm -hmm. period. And so every person that you meet has an essential uh, dignity that you are obligated to respect because they are created in God's image. Mm -hmm. Every person who is declared legally righteous, it's not just that, mm -hmm. but now because of Jesus's literal blood shed for you, now you are my sister. Mm. So not only am I obligated to respect you as a person, mm -hmm. I'm supposed to treat you with uh, a level of care and dignity that goes far beyond that. And so if I wake up in the morning and think those ideas, right, mm -hmm. 
that changes my view of everybody around me. And it's hard because, because people, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. we still live in a world that's broken and characterized by people. And so if you come back to these ideas over and over and over again, it will change the way that you live your life and the way that your day goes. <clears throat> Paul emphasizes two points in this regard. So I'm back to the article. Sorry, that was aside. <laughs> Paul emphasizes two points in this regard. One, no one lives a perfectly good, holy, righteous life. That was the, that was the, whole, the whole nine yards, right, uh, in one through three. On the contrary, there is no one righteous, verse 10, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 23. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, verse 20. Okay, no one lives a perfectly good life. But even though all are sinners, God will declare those who put their trust in Jesus not guilty, but righteous. This declaration is valid because Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin and lived a life of perfect righteousness that can in turn be imputed to believers. This happens because believers have been incorporated into Christ and his saving work. They are in Christ. And so that to me is just... um, that's an article in the NIV study Bible that mm-hmm. is very helpful. Um, <clears throat> and it, it even goes further. Like there's a, a footnote here that talks about justification and the different aspects of it. In some ways, it says the same things, but Paul doesn't only tell us that. So that's like a legal understanding. And so you can picture this image as being in a courtroom and the judge looks at you and says, you're guilty. And you look at the judge and say, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the judge says, but you can be acquitted if you trust Jesus. It's like Jesus comes in the courtroom. He's like, I'll pay the costs. I'll make this right. Mm-hmm. And like, who wouldn't take that deal? Right. Right. But the image goes on. In verse 24, we are justified, declared legally righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So now he's sort of shifting from a legal term to a finance term. Okay. Redemption is the idea of being purchased. Okay. <clears throat> In the ancient world, people were enslaved for mm-hmm. various reasons. You could be born into slavery. Um, you could be a war captive. Mm-hmm. And then you could be captured and sold as a slave. Um Estimates are that there were a lot of people in the Roman world who were slaves. Yeah. And our mind goes to the most recent experience in America of slavery. This was different. Yes. It wasn't based on ethnicity. It was based on poverty. Um, <clears throat> poverty or war or things of, the, of that nature. So you could actually sell yourself into slavery mm-hmm. because slaves had to be maintained by the master Right. Mm -hmm. Though there was actually a class of people who had it worse. So if you were not owned by someone else, Mm -hmm. but you were also broke, you had to um, be a day laborer. So on some days, if you had work, you would work hard enough to eat. And on the days that you didn't work, you didn't eat. So. Slavery wasn't necessarily a bad deal, and you could earn your freedom, you could be given your freedom when the master died, or you could be purchased out of slavery to be set free. That's what this word means. Redemption is when someone comes and buys you out of the slave market to set you free. 
And the image that I have in my mind, like I try to think about, okay, what does this look like or feel like? Suppose Canada comes in and takes over. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're all going to be enslaved and sold. And <clears throat> so here you are, you're in chains, you're a captive and a relative. Like I think of my brother because I hope my brother would buy me out of slavery if it came to that. <laughs> um, you see your brother coming. Mm -hmm. What's he there for? Like, he's not going to buy you and put you to work. He's going to buy you and set you free, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the picture through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so that picture, like, it's just another thing that's beautiful, that God values you so much that he's willing to send his son to die for you so that he can set you free. Now, what are you going to do with that freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's some people who'd be like, thanks, Jesus. I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to go do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. I hope that's not the casual relationship that you have to this idea, that someone would have to this idea. I hope that you would take it seriously. <clears throat> and there's more. I mean, you know, the whole Bible is going to keep going. But now in verse 25, he says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, that's the ESV who uses the fancy word propitiation. The NIV translates that word as sacrifice of atonement. Okay. And this is um, another image that goes back to the Old Testament. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <clears throat> so the Bible has two Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament is the story of God's relationship to his chosen people, Israel, and how they were supposed to manage their relationship to him. And one of the ways that they were supposed to do that, one of the ways they were supposed to manage sin is by sacrifice. So let's take a look real quick at the book of Genesis. Okay. So in Genesis, you remember Adam and Eve get put in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. okay? And Eve went and got the, okay, it wasn't an apple. Fruit. Fruit from the tree. Mm -hmm. God put them in the perfect place, gave them the freedom of choice, right? Mm -hmm. Told them they could eat from any tree of the garden except for? That one. That one. What do they do? Eat from that one. They ate from that one. It's almost like they were 10-year-olds, right? <clears throat> you tell them not to do something, they do something. And so in doing that, it wasn't just breaking a rule. And I think that's where people kind of get stuck. Why was it such a big deal for them to eat that one fruit? God's a big cosmic meanie. No. God wants his children to live good lives and to avoid the consequences, right, of mm -hmm. their own freedom. Do we? Often we don't. <laughs> and so as Adam and Eve are in the garden, Eve picks up the fruit. Of course, the serpent deceives her. She picks up the fruit. But still, she's, she's culpable. She's guilty. She says to Adam, and the thing that kills me about this text is that Adam was there with her, mm -hmm. right? He should have smacked it out of her hand and said, Eve, what are you thinking? Right? Not in the sense of patriarchy, but in the sense of like a good brother, a good friend would do this. Mm -hmm. Your kids are five and four? Four and six. Four and six. Okay. So if your six-year-old picks up a machete, what should we do? Take it away. <laughs> Carefully take it away from him, right? He's not qualified to use a machete. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They, eat, they take the fruit. They eat the fruit. Um, they discover that they're naked. And... You know, this, this story is, is designed so that everybody can understand that this is rebellion against God. And so what God does is he comes to the garden, he's looking for them, and he says, hey, where are you? He knows where they are. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, <clears throat> Adam is hiding. God says, why are you hiding? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? And Adam says, the woman did it. Right? <laughs> right off the bat. And you can see the effects of sin. Like not only now has Adam broken his relationship to God, he then breaks his relationship to his wife. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat. And so God says, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, he pronounces curses on them. He curses the earth. Uh, sin has entered all of humanity at that point. But God still has compassion on them because they have experienced their freedom, the, the terrible consequences of that freedom. And now he has to show them how to make it right, mm-hmm. how to manage that problem of a broken relationship. And it comes down to sacrifice. And so in, in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed so when you make a garment of skin, you have to kill the animal, shed right. its blood. The first time Adam and Eve would have seen that kind of thing. And it is a vivid picture of substitution, right? Okay. <clears throat> You're guilty. You have earned death. But you can provide a substitute that will take your place. Okay. So the ESV study Bible uh, says this. While this final action recognizes that the human couple is now ashamed of their nakedness in God's presence... Mm-hmm. As a gesture, it suggests that God still cares for these, his creatures, made in the image of God, right? Mm-hmm. Because God provides garments to clothe Adam and Eve, thus requiring the death of an animal to cover their nakedness. Many see a parallel here related to, one, the system of animal sacrifices to atone for sin, later instituted by God through the leadership of Moses in Israel, and two, the eventual sacrificial death of Christ as an atonement for sin. Now, atonement is like a covering over or wiping mm-hmm. away of the problem of sin. And so if you go back, so we're, we're in Romans talking about what Jesus did and how Jesus provided a sacrifice of atonement mm-hmm. for all humanity, everyone who believes. And you go back and you see in Genesis that this idea is there. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if it's anywhere else. What happened in Genesis is that there was an institution of the oldest son as a priest for the family. So right now, Adam is functioning Mm -hmm. as a priest for his family, guiding and teaching his family how to atone for their sin. His kids screw it up. (coughs) So Cain and Abel, like the next story, um, Cain brings an offering of fruit. Uh, Abel brings an offering of an animal. Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's offering was rejected. Mm -hmm. And God very clearly tells Abel, look, sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting for you. And you have to figure it out. So Cain would have had to go to his brother and say, hey, I'll trade you some of this fruit for one of your sheep so Mm -hmm. that he can make the right sacrifice. He makes the wrong sacrifice. He kills his brother. (laughs) So, And you can even hear when God confronts Cain again and Cain tries to... Yeah, blow it off. Oh, I don't know where my brother is. He knows exactly where he is. Right. right? And so God says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And so there's all these vivid pictures of of blood as life. Mm -hmm. And that's where that, that family priesthood gets shifted to a national priesthood. So time goes on. You have the story of ancient Israel. You have the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They get uh, caught into slavery in Egypt. They get brought out by this cat named Moses. <laughs> Dude named Moses. 
Um, <clears throat> and during that, like God gives Moses the law. That's why it's called the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. And in the law, there's a shift from a family priesthood to a national priesthood. And you can find that in the book of Numbers. So Numbers chapter 3. It's a national priesthood that came from a specific family, though, yes, right? Yes. So now you have the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so rather than trying to keep a family-oriented priesthood like on track, mm -hmm. God transfers it over to Aaron, the high priest, and mm -hmm. his lineage is going to fill the high priesthood. Right. And then um, the tribe of Levi gets sort of switched over to be the national priesthood. Mm -hmm. Okay, it happens in Numbers 344. Take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel, the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock. The Levites are to be mine. I am the Lord. Okay, so that's the shift. And that's, you know, there's there's more in there, but that's the shift from a, from a um, family priesthood to a national priesthood. And in the national priesthood, you had this dude named the high priest, Aaron, uh, at the beginning. <clears throat> and in Leviticus... Aaron as in Moses' brother? Aaron as in Moses' <clears throat> brother, yes. In Leviticus, you have the ceremony of the Day of Atonement. Now, Leviticus is where your Bible reading plan goes to die. <laughs> but the ideas in Leviticus are very important for understanding how Jesus is continuous with the Old Testament system. In Leviticus 16, on the Day of Atonement, <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm going to, kind of paraphrase some of this. Leviticus 16.6 16, uh, through 10. Aaron, the high priest, is to offer a, the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering, but the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So the idea here is that if you think of sin as something sticky, mm -hmm. okay, so Aaron has to cleanse himself mm -hmm. because he's a human being, he right. has sin. And Aaron has to cleanse the location, okay, because sin is sticky. Mm -hmm. And so he, he uses a series of offerings. He has to offer a bull for himself, the most expensive offering. Okay. <clears throat> he takes the blood of the bull into what at the time was the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. And in the tabernacle, there's the outside, the inside room, and the inside, inside room. Okay, so the outside is where you would have the altar. Mm -hmm. You have a laver, which is basically a big basin of water. Um, <clears throat> that's where normal people could bring their offerings to the Lord mm -hmm. and deal with personal sin. We're talking about taking the blood all the way into the presence of God in the most holy place, okay? Okay. So inside each of these rooms, in the front room, this is where normal priests could do normal priestly activities. There was a golden lampstand that had seven branches, a symbol of God. Okay. There was a table where they would put 12 loaves of bread, symbolic of the people of Israel, mm -hmm. and they would arrange the lamp so that the lamp was shining on the bread. Okay. What's the picture? The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord bless you. Those kind of things. So God's favor is shining actively on the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. An important picture. There's also an altar of incense 
inside that first room. This is symbolic of the prayers of the people. So the incense was a specific formula, and so it was brought in and offered before God, but outside of his room, right, Mm -hmm. outside of his presence. Inside the most holy place, you had two uh, statues of angels, Okay. okay, that were symbolic of the guardians of God, and then there was also the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a box into which certain sacred articles were placed. Mm-hmm. Because the they were nomads at this point. Yeah, they're, they're traveling. Um, so, yeah, they're traveling, and this was a portable sanctuary that they would take down and set up in different locations. Right. This gets made into a temple about 1,000 B.C. by Solomon, mm-hmm. okay? And then that continued with lots of different interruptions through history. There is no temple today. The thing that you see in Jerusalem is a Muslim structure. Okay, so now, on the cover, on the cover of that ark, okay, that place is called the mercy seat. Okay. It's symbolic of, like, God's throne. And so when Aaron sacrifices the bull for his sin, he walks through the outer room, behind the veil, into that room, and he sprinkles the blood of that bull seven times. Okay. Which is how he covers over, wipes away, atones for his personal sin. Mm-hmm. Then he goes back out, and there's the two goats. One of them has been chosen for the Lord. Mm-hmm. That goat gets sacrificed. Its blood gets shed. Now, what's happening for all of the people is they're watching because they can't go into the most holy place for themselves. Right. They have to have the high priest do it for them. Mm-hmm. They can't, like, and the idea is an exchange. It's either me, my blood, or the blood of the goat. Mm-hmm. And if it's me or the goat, the goat gets it every time. Right. So that goat gets sacrificed. Its blood gets taken into the most holy place, sprinkled before the altar as a payment for the people's sins, mm-hmm. as a substitute for them. And then Aaron comes out. Now, sin is sticky, right? So he takes that other goat by the head, and he confesses all of the sins of the people of Israel on the goat. Probably more like a stylized formula. Lord, we have sinned. We have mm-hmm. done wrong. We have done all the bad things we're not supposed to do. And he probably, I mean, he probably takes some good time with it, right? Mm-hmm. He holds on to that goat. He, he puts the sins on the goat. And then the goat gets led out into the wilderness and led away. Mm-hmm. And the picture is this. Your sins are covered over, atoned for, by the blood of the goat. Where are your sins? Gone. Gone. One year the goat came back. Can you imagine a goat full of sin shows up at your house? <laughs> that That's the picture, right? And mm-hmm. so tradition records that <clears throat> after this happened, they would push the goat backwards over a cliff. They didn't want it to come back. Nobody wants a goat full of sin. Right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> this is the picture that's built into the Old Testament. And this was supposed to be repeated every year so that every generation could look and understand, how are my sins handled? Mm -hmm. Like in the big picture sense, how am I right before God? And, you know, people being people, they messed it up, Mm -hmm. right? Their obedience kind of goes up and down and up and down. Um, But the picture is still there because it's written into Leviticus 16. And there's an important thing in Leviticus 17 uh, that we'll look at real quick. In Leviticus 17, it talks about talks about blood. 
13 and 14. Any Israelite or foreigner residing among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth because the life of every creature is in its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is in its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Mm. Okay. And so the picture of blood for blood, life for life exchange Mm -hmm. is built into the Old Testament, right? And so that's where, like, come back to Romans, right? The word for sacrifice of atonement Mm -hmm. is hilasterion in Greek, and it refers back to the atonement cover in the Old Testament. And so with this one word, Paul just connects this picture back. Mm. He says, look, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so all of the Jewish people would have been like instantly, oh. That makes sense. That makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? Makes perfect sense. And then if you go to the book of Hebrews, so I'll get back to Romans here in a second, but if you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, see, Hebrews makes the connection even tighter. Mm. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. So the picture is that the earthly tabernacle represented the heavenly tabernacle. Mm -hmm. And so Christ now is a high priest. He's not going into the earthly temple. He's going into the heavenly. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place in heaven once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, an eternal right to buy back from the slave market everyone who believes in him. Mm -hmm. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them, set them apart, so they were outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. This is an incredible picture. Mm -hmm. And so you go back to Romans, right? And so Paul, in this very compact, this very tight little set here, he has three big ideas. There's the legal idea. You come before the judge and you are guilty, and the judge says you're acquitted. You are justified. You are declared right. Why? Not because of what you did, mm-hmm. but because of what Jesus did. And so if you're trusting in that, if you believe that, you're good. So that's the one picture. But in this one picture, there is a legal picture. The next picture is the slave market picture, that you're purchased out of the slave market. And the third picture is this religious priestly picture, that Jesus is the high priest who goes to God for you. And I think that is an incredible picture Mm -hmm. that often we miss when we talk about how to become a Christian. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are thinking, oh, I become a Christian by going to church. That's not what we're talking about. Right. And Paul actually addressed that in chapters one to three when Mm -hmm. he talked about the religious person. For him, it was the Jew. You are not a Jew who is one outwardly, but you are a Jew who is one inwardly, right? Mm -hmm. And what he's talking about is having a heart that's willing to come to Jesus, come to God through Jesus, right? Um, A lot of times we'll tell people to ask Jesus into their heart, right? Mm -hmm. But if you've never been, like if you were to walk down the street and say, hey, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Like, what does that mean? Right. People wouldn't really understand. Who's going to God for you? 
oh, I'll go myself. Mm-hmm. Romans 1 through 3 says that's a bad idea, right? Because mm-hmm. you're guilty. Who can go for you? I can't go for you. Right. I have to have somebody go for me. Can Jesus go for you? As the high priest, yes. Especially because we recognize he is he is God. Mm-hmm. So he is a he's God's method, right? Mm-hmm. Why would you not do what God wants God's way? Oh, I'm a good person. I follow the rules. Well, we addressed that already too, right? Mm-hmm. Because the moral person doesn't have enough to earn that righteousness right. before God. Jesus does. Who's your sacrifice? Who's your where's your blood? Right mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, going all the way back to Genesis, you have an animal. In the book of Leviticus, you have an animal. In Hebrews, Jesus goes by His own blood shed for you and me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea, <clears throat> that idea, is the thing that brings us into God's presence. Like we're going to keep talking about Romans, and Romans does some incredible things. One of the things, like I, I like to skip ahead. Right? I like to skip ahead because of the beauty of the ideas that are coming. Mm-hmm. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared legally righteous by faith, trusting in Jesus and his work on the cross alone, we have peace with God. Mm. Stop right there for a minute. Right? Mm-hmm. When you wake up in the morning, um, my first thought is usually, ugh. <laughs> Because I don't want to, we have to, we have, our grandson lives with us and I have to get him ready for bed. Um, <clears throat> ready for bed. Ready I have to get him ready school. for school. Yeah, see? Um, have to get him ready for school. Have to help, my, you know, my wife. And he's always resisting. He doesn't want to wear, like, a jacket ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 10 degrees outside. He wants to wear shorts and a t-shirt. And so it's just, it's such a huge pain. So my first thought in the morning is usually, ugh. But my first thought should be, Man, I've got peace with God. Mm. And so every time something that comes up that disrupts my subjective peace, mm-hmm. right? Because life happens. Right. Um, all kinds of life happens. But it never disrupts the objective peace that I have with God. Mm-hmm. And so if I start there every day, if I come back there over and over, it's almost like, like what's your what's your guilty pleasure? Right? Mm. What's the... What's the hot bath, right? What's the moment in the sauna where mm-hmm. you have no responsibilities, the candles are lit, you know, and you're just relaxing? Man, that's peace with God. Mm. And when I think Christians make a habit of building that into their lives and minds, then we will be not just theologically healthier, mm-hmm. but we'll be psychologically healthier because we're thinking from God's thoughts into our world not from our world yeah. looking desperately for some verse or answer or something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the quick hit. Right. You know, I can do all things through God. Well, hold on. Yeah. Let's think real theology first. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's kind of where I, I think uh, we've been through a whirlwind uh, this morning of, of different ideas and different pictures. But I think these pictures are... Um, like this is important for Christians to really, really grasp and not just to grasp today, but every day to come back to these ideas over and over and over again, to speak them to your kids and grandkids, to talk about them with each other, mm-hmm. you know, so that we're doing the thing that is 
what God wants us to do, being the people that God wants us to be. I don't know how much more information I need about sloths. Oh, sloths are just awesome. I yeah, but I don't like. I don't feel like with, with you don't honey, need to. You don't need to go research a sloth. I, I mean, <clears throat> Wikipedia is about maybe. I don't even think I'm going to do it, right? Because you, you should just go to the zoo. They have a couple. Of, they have sloths at the zoo. Yeah. It's far too cold today. They're inside. Oh. You've taken away all my excuses. Now I have to go to the zoo. <laughs>